0: Well, good evening. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior. Blessing to be together again tonight. And I uh, trust that our time together will, uh, will be profitable. I want to conti- uh, continue with the names of God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 5. So far, we've uh, the first. The first one was Elohim, which is the sovereign Creator and sustainer of the universe, who has covenanted with Himself and with man to provide a Redeemer. It's the name God, G O, capital G O D. Uh, secondly, we have Jehovah God. Uh, this is we understand is His proper name. Uh, He is uh, included in this name is the idea of righteousness and holiness and justice. This is who God is. Then the third name was El Shaddai uh, which is the all-sufficient one who is able to supply all of our needs. Uh, Tonight we want to consider the, another revelation of God by the use of the names. Now, God is so big that one name can't uh, contain, uh, can't explain who he is. It, it requires more than one. Uh, Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Abram had just won a victory in battle with the four kings and their armies who had captured Sodom and the surrounding communities. But here, in this passage, he acknowledges Jehovah as his master. I'm going to read uh, the first eight verses of chapter 15. And look very closely as we read the names of God. Uh, Lord is Jehovah. God, we talked about. Tonight, we're looking at Lord in lowercase letters. So, after these things came the word of the Lord, Jehovah, unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and and, lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be." And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord which brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, or Master God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And we could go on then, but I think that's far enough. Master was the understanding of the word Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I, is translated here as Lord with this lowercase letters. Uh, Abram called him Master, Lord. Uh, Consider his understanding of slavery. Lordship meant Complete possession on the part of the master and complete subjection on the part of the slave. Complete possession on the part of the master and complete subjection on the part of the slave. Uh, So when Abram said, uh, Lord God, Will what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, uh, he was giving. He was coming to him, as uh, one in complete subjection to him. Let's go over to another passage, Exodus chapter four. Exodus chapter four. I'd like to read verses ten to fourteen. Here. Uh, God was talking to Moses. This was at the burning bush, and God was asking him to go to Egypt and deliver his people. And Moses was trying to weasel out of it. We come to starting at verse ten, and Moses said unto the Lord, "O my Lord, now you notice right there, the first Lord is Jehovah, the second is, and the second is Moses responding, Master." Uh, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said unto him, O my Lord, I send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom whom thou wilt. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad. So Moses was trying to weasel out of uh, doing what God wanted him to do. Verse 12, God assured him, I will be with you. It's, it, I am the one that made your mouth. Uh, and Moses tried again. And Moses, be, uh, God becomes angry because his servant is resisting his will. That was the relationship here. Uh, Jehovah God and uh, Abram was responding as Lord. Uh, Or master. Let's go over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. These are uh, passages that help us to understand this better. Uh, In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, the background is that David wanted to build the temple, but God told him that his son would be the one who would build it but that he would establish David's house forever. I'd like to read verses uh, 12, 18 to 23. Excuse me, uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hereto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord, or Master God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Master God, or Lord God? And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant, and for thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Therefore, wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God, there it's Jehovah God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Let's jump over to verses 28 and 29. And now, O Master God, thou art God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore, let it, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before, before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Uh, one more passage. Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at this passage in one of the other names. Do you remember which it was? I think it was God, in that it was plural. Uh, and that is the same case with this word Adonai. It is in the plural form. Uh, mass, uh, a, sing, uh, a, a, a human master was called Adon, A-D-O-N. But the plural, masters, which would also uh, carry the idea of the Trinity, again, here. Uh, Verses six to eleven. Then one of the seraphim then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, "Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, Master, saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord... Master, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be uttered, utterly desolate. So, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, it's used extensively in calling people back to their master. Uh, but it's also used when God is pronouncing judgment on the, nation, uh, on the nations around He is their master. The implications are there for all mankind. Uh, This understanding of God as master is carried over into the New Testament as well. John 13, 13, something that we read every time at, at feet washing. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another. He is our Master, our Lord. Okay, for the uh, for the, uh, <clears throat> the theme song, I think we'll just, this is Saturday night, we'll just sing the first verse this time. I've appreciated this opportunity to get to know you all as a congregation, and I want to commend you for your sincerity and uh, your desire to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. It's been a blessing to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to tomorrow as well. But the message that the Lord has laid on my heart this evening is one of reminder, first of all, but secondly, it's one of preparation. You know, Satan's goal is and has been to destroy what God is accomplishing in this world. And sooner or later, if you haven't already, you will encounter issues and circumstances that will try your patience with each other. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16:8, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. And, you know, Satan is very creative in destruction. We have no idea what you may encounter as a brotherhood. But we can be sure that offenses will take place in the brotherhood. Uh, you all have started a building project. And building projects are notorious for, for causing uh, ripples in the congregation, the, in the group. You've been meeting now for close to two years, and I expect that you've already had some of that. It seems to be the way we are. Uh, But what we do with those offenses will determine the future of this congregation. I've titled my message this evening, What Does Forgiveness Look Like? For a text, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Setting here is the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is teaching in uh, this passage on uh, how how to pray. I'd like to read verses 5 to 15. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard by their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before we ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. (coughs) So here we have the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' teaching on prayer. And this is considered the model prayer. It's the pattern we should follow as we come to God in prayer. Notice there are two parts to this prayer. There is adoration, and that is at the beginning and the end, and in between is petition, Uh, the adoration. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven? Uh, And it's important when we're praying to think about who we're praying to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. something that is hallowed is sacred it's holy it's to be revered so our father who art in heaven holy is your name separate from all others perfect in all his ways his name is to be set apart in our minds then he prayed thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven This expresses a longing for his ultimate triumph and victory over uh, the forces of evil that are surrounding us. I believe it's also a forward look, a longing for the bliss of heaven, where we will be free from the forces of evil. Then we come to the petition. Give us this day our daily bread, a recognition of our complete dependency on him. Forgive us our debts. It's a recognition of our sinfulness, a recognition of our spiritual indebtedness to Him, and it expresses a desire for open relations with Him. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. An acknowledgment that we have been offended. We have... uh, We have been hurt by others. It's also an expression of willingness to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this, I believe, is a recognition that God is in control of our lives. And it's a plea for help in the daily temptations uh, when we're tempted to disobey. It closes with adoration. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Or so be it. After Jesus finishes his model prayer, he moves back to that statement that probably startled his, his disciples. For if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What does forgiveness look like? What does it mean? This is such an important subject that I want to I want to look at the other passages in the New Testament that deal with this subject at all. Also, let's go over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 verses 21 to 35. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But as for as much as he could not pay he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Again, what does it mean to forgive? First of all, what does it mean for God to forgive us? Nowhere do we find a definition as such of sin. Uh, there is that law first mentioned that the first time it's used, it is of defining importance. And the first place that it is used is Genesis 4, 7. When we, we looked at that, when we were talking about sin is crouching at the door. Uh, that's, uh, we read there, If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin is crouching at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Uh, The context here was of Cain bringing an unacceptable sacrifice. It was disobedience to what he knew to be right, it was voluntary. It was a choice he made. As such, it was not necessary for him to make that that choice. The same is true for us. Sin is voluntary. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice to disobey God. Uh, As such, it is not necessary in our nat- nature, the way God created us. As Christians, who are restored back to the way we were created, we do not have to sin. God promised in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It is not essential. It's not necessary for us to sin. It is a choice. For Adam and Eve, it was not just a violation violation of God's command. It was a refusal to submit to God's authority. Even more, it was a determination to go their own way. In the final analysis, analysis, it was unbelief. Uh, Now, why is sin such an offense against God? Well, consider. Consider the nature of God. He is holy. That means he is perfectly righteous. He is separate from all others. There is none like him. He is self-existence. He needs no other. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is creative. He is informative. He has, to Adam and Eve, he gave very clear instructions. To us, he gives very clear instructions. He has given us his word. And so sin is a violation of who he is. He created a perfect world. And man was the crowning point of that creation. And then man stood up in rebellion uh, and unbelief. So sin is an offense against who God is. How then can God forgive sin? Again, because of who he is. He is holy. Holy. Perfect in all of his ways. He has perfect love. He has perfect justice. Uh, And those two come together in the character of God. Perfect love and perfect justice came together in the plan of salvation. Uh, That plan is the substitutionary nature of Jesus' death on the cross. In his justice, he declared that the wages of sin is death. And since there has never been a human being who, has, who was sinless other than his own son, the entire race of man has been condemned to death because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By sending his own son to the earth as a man who lived a sinless life, God was able to satisfy his justice by giving his son to die in our place. Now, what are the conditions under which God can forgive sin? Because sin was not an inherent part of man as God created him, rather a voluntary act of rebellion, each individual needs to voluntarily accept the salvation that God provided through the death of His Son on the cross. There must be a decision to turn away from our pride, insubordination, and unbelief. Confess it for what it is. It's sin against God. And then submit our will to the will of the Father as revealed in His Word. When that decision is made and expressed Our sins are forgiven and we become one of God's children. And what is our standing with God when we have been forgiven? We're justified. We're made just as if we had never sinned. We are sanctified. We are set apart for His glory. Now what does it mean for man to sin, to, to forgive? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtor, debtors. What does it mean to forgive someone who has sinned against me? Well, why do we have to, uh, to forgive? Uh, I, excuse me. What do we have to forgive? What, what is it? It's an offense. An offense Against me, is an offense against me, is offense against my rights, against my character, against my things, against my position and authority. It can be any one of those. But forgiveness on the part of man is very little different than for God. Offenses are a violation of who we are and what we have. And so God says, Forgive. Uh, we, why do we need to forgive? First of all, because God said that we need to. It's a command of God. Failure to forgive is no different than the original sin of Adam and Eve. It is not only a violation of God's command, but a refusal to submit to his authority And a determination to go our own way. I never thought of it that way. But a refusal to forgive uh, is not only a violation of God's command. It's a refusal to submit to his authority and a determination to do it my way. A refusal to forgive is ultimately unbelief. We need to forgive to to fulfill the law of Christ. You remember the law of Christ, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, we need to recognize that we have offended others as well. We need to forgive to eliminate barriers between individuals. This is God's way of clearing the way. We need to forgive to free ourselves from bitterness because that's where it will go if we do not forgive. How then do we forgive those who have sinned against us? Those whom we have not only been commanded to forgive, but we're also to love them. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. What then does forgiveness look like how do we forgive those who have offended us those who have violated our rights let's go back again to matthew chapter 18 that uh, parable that jesus gave there is very par- powerful powerful Okay, notice in this story that the master's forgiveness was complete. That man was free. We understand that that 10,000 talents was an impossible debt to repay. It was forgiven. Can you imagine the load that was off of that man's chest all of a sudden? He was free! Forgiven. No longer responsible for it. There was a release of accountability. It it was gone. You know, this passage raises an important question in my mind. How do we respond to an individual who continues to sin? Uh, And that's what we... uh, That's what we see happening here. This man uh, turned around and uh, and offended a brother. How do we respond to an individual who continues to sin? Is there any difference between my response to an individual who continues to sin and that of God's response? God is the ultimate judge. He has perfect love and perfect justice. We are imperfect creatures. We ultimately need to give the situation over to God. But not forgiving is not an option. Not forgiving is not an option. Uh, Matthew 18, earlier in the passage, uh, verses 15 to 18, reveals the extent of our judgment against those who continue in offenses who are part of the brotherhood. Uh, love for my brother requires for me to confront him with his offense. Walls cannot be allowed to remain in a brotherhood. We cannot punish as God does. We can only declare that he has violated God's will and is no longer a part of us. But forgiveness is not an option. Uh, For those who offend us, Who are not part of the brotherhood. Forgiveness is the only option. An offense from someone outside. We need to forgive. End of story. Forgiveness means a release of accountability to us. We no longer hold the offense against them. What happens when we do not forgive? First of all, we will not be forgiven by God for our sins against him. But beyond that, we are bound to the past. We cannot move beyond what has happened to us. You know, those who have been violated by their parents often vow that I won't be like that. They usually do because that is what they're focusing on. And we become like what we focus on. Uh, neither will we have freedom in our relationship with others because of who we have become because of our unforgiveness. We will become bitter against God and man if we refuse to forgive. Now let's consider what happens when we do forgive those who have sinned against us. We're forgiven by God. We have peace with Him. We're at peace with ourselves. We're at peace with our brothers or those around us. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have freedom in our relationships with others. Forgive us our debtors, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're not called to go to the extent that Jesus went to, uh, went to, to provide for our forgiveness. But unless we forgive those who have sinned against us, we can never receive the blessings of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that serious. In closing, Jesus said in Matthew 18:7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. If I understand this correctly, this is saying that it, offenses in this life are unavoidable. And, you know, all of us can look back over uh, at times when we were hurt by the actions of others. If we're honest with ourselves, we can also look back at times when we have hurt someone else. It seems to be part of our human experience. And forgiveness is God's way of clearing the air so that we can move on and move on in life. But again, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. I have no idea what offenses you have experienced, Uh, but I do know that freedom from the bondage of those offenses is possible through your forgiveness. I also know that if we refuse, according to scriptures, if we refuse to forgive those offenses against you, against us, God cannot forgive us. Paul wrote in, in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In 623, he wrote, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're living in unforgiveness tonight, I plead with you that you would repent of that sin against God, first of all. Repent of that sin against God and choose to forgive those offenses against you and make peace with God and with those who have sinned against you. Unforgiveness will, o- will destroy not only you, it will y- destroy your relationships with those around you as well as the church you're a part of. So this evening as we sing, if God is speaking to you, I ask you to respond. Rise to your feet, come forward as an acknowledgement of your willingness to forgive. What shall we sing? 726. 726. These are life-changing decisions, but they are life-changing decisions. And so if God is speaking, would you respond? Shall we sing?
1: I'm just as I am. come with all my guilt and sin. If I owe Come to Jesus, come today, he will come.
0: Thank you for your attention. The invitation remains open. If there's someone here that would like to talk with one of us, we're, we're available. So shall we stand for closing prayer? Brother Louis, would you lead us? eyes that there is a condition, and just help us, be really Lord, I just pray that your will could be accomplished in our congregation. Please continue to go with us as we
1: go from here. Make us a blessing so that we can honor and glorify you. Amen. Amen.
0: You're dismissed.